Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall. Welcome back from spring break. How was it? Oh, it was. So I went out to Colorado to go on an annual skiing trip, and it was a lot of fun. I I don't know if the viewers on YouTube can tell, but I definitely got sunburnt. And, um, but it was fun. So that's one of my annual things I do, one of my hobbies. And I had a really, really good time doing it. Good. Happy to hear it. Hopefully you're back and recharged and ready to put on a great show today. I'm rejuvenated. You know, it's funny. We used to teach a class called rejuvenate your retirement. So whenever I hear that word, that's what I think about. But one of the, something I ran into last week was, uh, someone asked me, like, how do you determine whether you should hire a financial advisor, whether you need one. So I thought it'd be good today. We're going to talk about seven ways to determine whether you need to pay for financial advice, because we've talked about it a lot before. Not everybody needs to. We'll talk about the ways to determine whether paying someone is right or wrong for you. So before we get to that, Elias, one thing that people have been waiting for for quite a long time is the long awaited interest rate hike that happened last week. Uh, Jerome Powell announced a quarter point increase on the interest rates, which I think for some people, they they believe that mortgage rates are going to get instantly higher and borrowing rates are instantly higher. When in reality, mortgage rates are really kind of baked into the 10-year bond yield, which the 10-year bond yield has been basically predicting this for the better part of six to eight months. It's just how many interest rate hikes there might be. So I don't think people should have this fear that, whoa, rates went up. I need to rush out and get the mortgage done. Yeah, you probably want to get your refi done or if you're buying a house, get a rate lock on the thing. But it doesn't mean in one day interest rates went up a quarter point. And I was actually waiting well, because I was out of town, so we haven't had a chance to talk about it. I was curious, though, your thoughts on some of the market reaction to it, because they announced it and then the market was positive, where I think, don't people typically think and a rate increase means the market's going to go down a little bit that day? So one, I guess, were you surprised by that? Or my thought was, well, the market's probably not surprised by the news. That's why there was a somewhat positive reaction, because I guess what the Federal Reserve has been saying they're going to do, then they announced that that's what they're going to do. So that I, I feel like there wasn't any surprises. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I think that's a very good point. There's two things that go into how the market perceives what happened. One is if they were predicting a quarter point rate hike or the market was predicting a, or had priced in a quarter point rate hike and we would have hiked 0.75%. That's a shock. The market's not expecting that. It was expecting anywhere from a quarter point to 50 basis points. So if we kind of stay in the consensus or the predicted you know, view of where that rate hike was going to be, the market's not surprised. The second thing that, that's really happening, though, is they're listening to the Fed speak or the speech that Jerome Powell gives and the question and answer and how everything shakes out in that regards regarding future rate hikes and where they see inflation and where they see the economy. One of the things I brought out of that is Jerome Powell came out and said, we have a very strong economy, which I think we all realize we have a strong economy and we feel inflation, but there's also a little bit of uncertainty 
regarding what's going to happen in the future because of the war in Russia and Ukraine and all the geopolitical events that are going on. So the central bank, one of of the things it does is forecast inflation and economic growth. The Fed's projection for GDP growth this year is falling to 2.8 from a previous 4%, uh, 4% increase. So there's just some other factors going into it, but it was perceived as positive news because we didn't have a shock. Everybody knows there's inflation. If we would have seen a half a point to 75 basis points, it would have been a shock, but people should expect rates are going higher in the future. For retirees, this is probably a good thing for some retirees. If you think about the retiree population in America, we've been living on you know, near rock bottom interest rates for the better part of 15 years. I wanna say the last time the 10 year treasury or interest rates were 6%, it was like under Greenspan. I, I heard that, I don't know exactly where I heard that, but it was a long, long time ago. So you think about your retiree today, they call up, they say, you know, what kind of yield can I get? For a long time, it was like half a percent on a CD. You know, rates are gonna go up, that's good for those people. Is it good for borrowers? Probably not, but it's probably healthy for the economy in general to get back to this normalized, you know, 10 year yield, probably around three-ish percent. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I agree with that. And from an investor standpoint, I I think older investors would appreciate being able to make some more yield on the bonds in their portfolio because it's just, it's probably what it's natural. As people get older, they don't want to be exposed to as much risk. And in the last few years, how many times have we been asked, well, where can I get four or 5% yield and not have to worry about my principal. And it just, in the current market, just does not exist. Um, I think one time I heard you say, well, that's a unicorn right now, you told somebody. So, you know, I, I think older investors, I think will appreciate some higher interest rates. Um, well, we'll see how high they go. I guess I'm a little bit under the op- opinion that I'm not sure how high interest rates can go now that everyone is used to such low rates, but you know, time will tell that. I agree with that. We've had this conversation before. Just think about the average car loan. Can you imagine a car dealer telling somebody that they're gonna have to buy that $60,000 or $40,000 car and pay 6% interest instead oh. of zero? I now, think people would be like beside themselves. Well, that, that said though, the car dealers and car manufacturers can artificially manufacture a 0% rate. When you go buy a car, there's usually two things. There's rebates or you can get 0% interest. You don't get both. Well, great. That car, instead of costing 63,000, yep, 69,000, you can get 8,000 rebates or you can pay 69,000 and get 0% financing. You know, right. They they can play the number game with the financing on that and you can't do that in in every aspect of life. You can't do that with your mortgage rate. I think people are going to be yeah, shocked. You can't bake in excessive value. When was the last right. time we had 4% mortgage rates? That has been 3 years ago, 4 years ago. My wife and I we came back from our spring break at, with our girls and we talked about this on the way back. We we're talking about housing inventory. Why would there be more inventory? And I said, I'm not sure there will be because two reasons. Number one, we already have a shortage of homes and we can't build them fast enough. But number two, think about this dynamic. You have a borrower our age and we're in a house that we're satisfied with. Maybe it's not our dream home, but it's livable. 
And we've got to rate it 275 or 2.5 on a 30-year note. And now you go and you're going to the bank and they tell you, yep, that's going to be 4.75. It's not that you can't afford it, but subconsciously you're going to go to yourself, do I really want to give up the 2.5% interest rate? And it may cause people to hold on to their real estate longer and not have that inventory. I think it, we brought it up because we were reading an article from Lake of the Ozarks and you know, the housing shortages won't last forever, but it's not going away this spring. And that's what got, got us talking about it. Because if you look at inventories, even Cedar Rapids or wherever you go, there, there's hardly anything for inventory. And once it lists, it's sold almost immediately. So I, I think you're right. Like, higher rates could bring a screeching halt to the economy, which is what they're trying to do. They're trying to slow it down. That'll slow down inflation at some level, but I'm not sure it can operate back, you know, paying 6% on a mortgage rate. Well, I mean, time will tell. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I suppose, I guess what housing prices could maybe slow down if rates got too high, but um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. We don't try to predict the future. We adapt to what's going on, create a plan, execute that plan. So I was speaking with someone the other day. They asked me, hey, how do you how do I know if I should pay somebody for financial advice? And that's really what we want to talk about in this show. So seven ways we're going to talk about how to determine if you need to pay for financial advice. Reason one, we need to determine your primary financial advising need. So as I think about this, too many times we lump in financial planning or financial advising into retirement planning. There are so many other avenues you could go through that isn't just retirement planning. I believe if you're at retirement or within 15 years of retirement, you should be looking at doing a financial plan and it definitely makes sense to pay for financial advice. To build that long-term financial plan, make sure what you're, you're doing is adequate, make sure you're on track, because if you're 15 years out, you still have enough time to make appropriate changes to your plan to get yourself on the right track. So for some people, setting up an investment strategy or managing their investments is something that they've considered paying somebody for. And we use, um, we like to use the litmus test in the office. There's three questions to ask yourself as to whether you can manage your own 401k or your IRA or your own portfolio yourself. And it comes down to time, desire, and knowledge. So if you have the time to research all the investment options, the desire to research the investment options and the knowledge, then arguably you don't need to pay for this. But if there's one of those areas that you're not comfortable or you don't want to do, then you outsource to somebody else and you pay a professional. The cost of hiring advisors today hasn't been less expensive ever. We've seen fee compression. Most advisors are working on a level fee capacity versus a commission capacity. So the cost to go get advice is not that expensive relative to the benefit you may receive. Yeah, and didn't we... Um... We just saw something from Vanguard about that, right? Where they're kind of quantifying the value of advice from advisors. And 
I think, don't quote me on it, but I feel like like the annual value was something like three and a half percent or almost four percent. And that was a study done by Vanguard who kind of hangs their hat on, you know, bringing to popularity passive investing strategies for do-it-yourselfers, not people using financial advisors. So I thought that was pretty insightful to see how they um, how they actually value the work we do. Um, and what, what were the things involved? It was like rebalancing, behavioral coaching. The number one. Asset allocation. The number one driver of that 3% value add was behavioral coaching. One and a half percent attributable to behavioral coaching. So let's think about what that is. That is the market's down 13 or 15%. Do I go to cash and if you don't have a financial plan or a financial advisor, you might've just went to cash. Will that be a good long-term move? I don't know. Historically, trying to time the market has not been predictable for lack of better terms. No one's been able to do it. So what the financial advisor can do is arm you with the confidence and the information to stay the course. Had some in the office last week. Should I get more conservative? They're already 40% stock. Yeah, how Should much I, more conservative can well, you Well, that's why I said to her, like, you know, really the next option for you is some type of a bank product. I mean, if we go all bonds, we're buying bonds into a rising interest rate environment. And typically the bonds that are going to do well during a rising rate environment carry more credit risk. So is that really where you want to invest your money? So we, we talked talk probably for 45 minutes. And she's like, no, this is exactly what I needed to hear. But I also went back to the financial plan and showed her her probability of success, which went down about 30% by going to all cash. So that it helped calm her fears, answer her own question for lack of better terms. So that's the number one way advisors, in my opinion, help people is by setting up financial plans and setting up realistic expectations and managing their behavior. And that's one of the... That's one of the best parts about operating on financial plan and probabilities is, you know, it's one thing to let someone know, well, I think you should stay the course. But in that scenario where you can show someone, if you if you make a change and become more conservative than you already are, your probability of success goes down 30 percent. That's significant. I mean, that's base you're basically just saying, yeah, I'll take thirty percent less odds that I'm going to be successful doing this. And so nobody, why wouldn't you? And nobody does that. Once they, once we can quantify it for them, which is why we use that plan, they, they don't do it. If anybody wants to get their one page financial plan, you can go to btwellshow.com. More than happy to uh, reach out to us, help you get that. Um, number two, you should assess how much help you actually want with your finances. And I think this is interesting because many people believe when they come to a financial advisor, it's all or none meaning I have to give them all of my stuff to manage or none of it. And that's actually not true. There are multiple models for financial advisors, whether it's with us or somebody else, where there's a, many people charge an hourly bill. Some people charge a retainer. Some people charge an assets under management fee. So the first thing to do is figure out how much help do you want? Are you a do-it-yourselfer? Maybe you're a do-it-yourselfer and you just want somebody to build the financial plan for you because you don't have access to the software. We can build for a financial plan. 
We can give you all the tools you need from a planning standpoint if you want to go do the research on the mutual funds and the ETFs and whatever you might have in your portfolio. We've done this before. What ends up happening? Well, what mutual fund should I use? Oh, when you do a plan for a do-it-yourselfer? Yeah. Well, what fund should I use? Well, yeah. you told me you wanted to do that. You don't really want to do it yourself. You want someone to do it for free. <laughs> so, but you need to be yeah. honest yourself. Now I've done plans for people and they a hundred percent, they want to know the probability of success and the overall asset allocation. And then they want to go make the investment decisions themselves. And that's totally fine, but that's what they need to do. It could also be do it with me. So it could be an approach where you have the advisor build a plan. You have the advisor manage all the funds outside of your 401k, but you're going to keep guiding and ship in your 401k. And then there's the third way, which is do it for me. So most advisors are open to these, but ask the advisors you're working with, do you do it this way? Are you willing to do it this way? Some people say, hey, look, I'm not doing it unless I'm managing the money. Or some people say, I don't want to manage the money. There's companies out there that don't want to manage the money. They just want to charge hourly planning fees and that's how they're compensated. So for most people, there's a fit out there just be true to yourself as to what you don't you want to do. Don't don't say, hey, look, yeah, I'm going to do it myself. I want you to do the plan, but I want to manage the funds and then go back and ask what investments to pick. Yeah, that that's, that's kind of yeah, that, that that's counterproductive, I think. Well, you're not really being a do it yourselfer at that point. And our firm, what we're probably a little bit of the mix of do it with me or do it for me. Yeah. And I can think of plenty of clients that we manage some of their money, whether it's an IRA or a Roth, but they'll have a 401k at work. And a lot of times we offer to do an allocation for it. So we're almost doing it for them, but we're not getting paid to do it. It's just kind of an ancillary service that we offer. Or we've got the client who's got his mad money account or she just sitting out at TD Ameritrade. That's where they buy and sell their stocks that they want to day trade with or do whatever they can't they help. want to do. Can't help but trade stocks. Yeah. So number two is, uh, Assess how much help you want. Three, take referrals with a grain of salt. People obviously are going to refer you to people that they trust. It doesn't mean that that person's still a good planner or an ethical person. Great example, Bernie Madoff. Everybody referred everybody to Bernie, but he stole their money. So you need to vet the people that you're going to do business with. If an advisor is telling you a story that sounds too good to be true, probably is. Just back away. Don't make any rash decisions. So what are some of okay, what are some other ways people can vet a referral? You can go out to FINRA, there's broker checks, you can see their disciplinary history if they've had anything in their past. Um, it's typically on every website for a financial advisor. If they're a registered investment advisor, you can go to the SEC website, type in the firm name or the advisor, see what their background is, see if there's been any complaints. So let's say, and I don't want to scare people because people have had stuff in their life that are disclosed. They're called disclosures out there. That doesn't mean they're bad people. But if you run across an advisor and they have 18 disciplinary actions or complaints, that's kind of a pattern. If they have one or two, I mean, you've been in the business long enough, something happens that someone thinks they're treated unfairly. It doesn't mean that they were ever found guilty or they did anything wrong. It just means somebody complained. But if you see 18 or 19 or 20 things out there, well, you should ask yourself, what's the pattern? And you can read what the complaint was about. What's the pattern here? And do I want to get into bed with 
this person. Because once you hire an advisor, you kind of get in a marriage. They're managing well, the money. So you should be armed with. And depending on the products they use to help people or their investment philosophy. I mean, you could end up, you could own something that you don't want to own for the amount of time you're required to own it before you can do something without penalty. I like That's another you, option. I like how you, you said that. Something you don't want to own for that amount of time without a penalty. <laughs> well, Most people infer what that is, but I, I appreciate how you massage that uh, that product. Well, it happens. Number four, if you don't understand the advisor's plan, don't do it. I love this one. I do too, because one of the things we've just done is figure out how to take you know complex financial plans and make them easier to understand for clients. And that just went back to a lot of talking with people about, hey, what do you really want to know? If you think about the plan that we put together for people, it could be a few hundred pages long if we wanted it to be, but we're condensing it down to one or two pages and giving them the information that they need to know. doesn't mean they can't have that full plan. We're just ripping out all the important stuff for them. So they know, Hey, these are the things we need to do to be successful or here's the amount of money I can spend, or this is the amount of risk I need to take to ultimately be successful to accomplish my financial goals. And this one here, number four, if you don't understand the plan, don't do it. So this reminds me of what recently we've ran into two, two scenarios with um, people using permanent life insurance for different needs that they had, or it was kind of presented to them as an investment. It didn't seem like they really understood what they were using it for. And then you know, there was some, a lot of confusion about how you take money out and how it actually works. And I think that's something we run into quite a bit where it's, I don't think people can actually, I don't really think the average person who's not in finance can really understand a lot of those higher end, like life insurance concepts. I mean, they're confusing to me sometimes. So that's one area I would definitely caution people on. Um, do those products serve a place in financial services? Yeah, they do. But again, if it seems complicated and you don't understand it, there's probably a reason for that. So number five, you should understand your advisor's business model. There's really three primary models in our industry. One's commission, two's fee only, three is fee-based. The vast majority of advisors today are in a fee-based model. Is that good or bad? It is what it is. Same with commission or fee only. But let's talk about the differences here, Elias. So the basic differences between a couple, well, we'll just touch on fee only first. So a fee only would be someone's basically charging an hourly rate or a flat fee, and they could have an assets under management fee. But there, there's never any commission, and it's fee only, so I guess it's kind of self-explanatory. There's commission-based advisors, so that's like a traditional brokerage account where they you pay a commission for the transaction. So if you buy a mutual fund, you'll pay a commission for that um, or any other product in that commission-based account. Fee-based system, that's more, that's kind of how our firm operates where we charge a level fee for the assets we manage. I'm sure there's a really popular commercial out there that says 
the better our clients do, the better we do. So that's one way to think of it. If, you, if you're paying a fee for the assets, as those assets go up, you have more money, your advisor makes more money. Um, so that's kind of the gist of it. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, the, well, the fee-based model is, we also refer to as the hybrid model, okay? And one of the reasons this hybrid model exists, if you've been in this industry for any period of time, to, I'm going on 20 years this year, I have clients, 20 years ago, people weren't doing managed money or fee-only accounts, very few people. We've gradually progressed to, that's primarily our business today. But we have legacy clients that have products they bought 10 and 15 years ago that still want to be serviced. So the only way to do that without just dropping the client is to be in this hybrid model where, yep, it's commission account, but we're not really doing transactions over there. Primarily the transactions are happening in the fee-based model or the fee model. And men, and that's why our, our industry is dominated by hybrids for the most part, because we have legacy clients who have commission products from 15, 20 years ago, or fee-based doesn't necessarily make sense for someone with $2,000. Maybe they don't have enough to do the account minimum. So you might have to go with some type of a commission account for that. So I want people to be distinct. It doesn't mean fee base is bad or fee only is good. It's just two different models. Fee only said might have, hey, we have $150,000 account minimum and we can't work with you if you don't have 150,000. That's not how our fee base model works. But in general, that's the biggest distinction and most advisors will probably fall into a fee only or fee based model. If you think about the predominant commission based model out there, it's for unlicensed insurance agents. If you're, you're saying unlicensed, you know, no security, no security, you don't have a securities yeah. license. So there's a lot of insurance people out there that portray themselves as financial planners, but they don't have a securities license. They are selling you yeah. insurance products, a financial planner that can't sell you an investment. Yes. So if someone tells you that, oh yeah, there's no fees, you know, there's no fees in my product. Well, go see if he's securities license. I've looked at this stuff because the first thing I do, I go out to Finner broker check. I type their name in wait, he doesn't have a securities license. And then I go to their website on the bottom. There's no disclosure. And pretty soon it's all clicking. This is an insurance agent, not really a financial planner. Um, so that's something to think about. Number six, you should get excited about the potential benefits of working with an advisor. There are so many good things about working with an advisor and there's bad things too. I don't want to sugarcoat this, but the primary thing that I think people should take away from working with a financial advisor is you should feel more secure when you walk out of those meetings. Not confused, more secure about your future, whether it's good or bad. I might tell someone, hey, your probability of success retiring at 59 is 40%. But if you can wait till you're 64, it's 78, making the numbers up. They may not be happy with what I told them, but at least they know where they stand. And that, that's probably the most important thing, N knowing where you stand, what you should be doing. I, I agree 100%, though. If I, I guess if you're meeting with your advisor and it's more confusing than it is providing clarity, then that might be, uh, you know, that's not really why you would hire someone in our business, right? That's one of the main things is to get clarity on your financial picture. So here's some st statistics. 66% of people that have financial advisors feel very financially secure versus 31% without. 85% of people with advisors said they feel like they're headed in the right direction, 71% without. 
71% feel happy with their life versus 50 without an advisor. 61% have clarity on balancing spending versus savings versus 50% without. This is interesting, the 61%. How many people come in here and we have one person in the family who is dynamic saver. They don't want to spend a dime. And the other spouse or significant other is trying to have them loosen the grips on the pocketbook a little bit so they can live life now a little bit. A lot of families are a like A lot that. of times. And what we're able to do with that financial plan is go in and say, you know what? You guys are on the right track. You're saving what you need to save to be financially independent. And you have X amount of dollars left. You could probably scale back and go get the new house or take your family on the family vacation or just live life a little bit now because there's no certainty that anybody makes to retirement or retires for a long period of time in retirement. So this one I thought was really interesting that we can provide balance on how to spend now versus save later. And I think that one, what you just talked about, the balance between spending and saving, I think that's a, that's a good conversation to have with people, especially when you run into a situation where one person wants to save everything and the other one doesn't. Cause you know, people who are more inclined to save, they really think that they're doing the right thing by saving every dollar. But it's nice to know, hey, you're doing the right things. Why don't you spend some money and have some fun? Like, go out to eat once a week. Go crazy. Go out to eat twice in one week. Last one on the list, 73% have financial plans built to endure market ups and downs versus 30% without. And we talk about having that specific distribution strategy going into retirement. That's a financial plan that's built to endure or endure financial ups and downs in the market. If you have our bucket strategy, that's what we're building. We're building a plan to deal with market uncertainty. And seven, know your own levers, strengths, and weaknesses. It's not a great idea to go into a relationship with a financial advisor that you feel like you know more about investing than they do. And Ooh. don't kid yourself, it happens. There are some people out there that have spent hours and years researching this stuff and they go interview a financial advisor and they do a great plan. But when it comes to the investments, the advisor just maybe doesn't have that much knowledge or hasn't been in the industry very long. You need to make sure that the person you're going to work with compliments, number one, what you do well. And number two, you have confidence in because when chaos happens in the world, I promise you, you want to trust your financial advisor, not in the back of your mind, be going, does this guy actually know what he's doing? Think about the most recent, just think about the last few weeks when Russia invaded the Ukraine, how many people we feel that a lot of phone calls and conversations, I mean, and how many people and stuff like that happens, they start to question what they're doing, whether they, you know, and whether they should or shouldn't isn't really for me to judge it's just natural for people to do it but i you know i think in those moments you want to feel confident in the person you're working with i would think yeah no i i agree 100 percent. so with that said if anybody is looking for help from a financial advisor you can go to btwellshow.com you can click contact us or get a plan we're happy to help hope everybody had a great spring break i want to thank everybody for listening and watching 
Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.